0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. Uh, I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs, especially out of the Marshall Islands. And before starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. Uh, We are recording live as usual. Apologies in advance for any technical issues. And as always, the first half of the show will be the news report. Uh, about Dow related uh, news. And then the second half will be the deeper interview with Chris from Bankless DAO, among other things. Um, but before we go into the news report, I do want to do just a brief intro. So uh, Chris, just tell us a little bit about yourself and especially what makes you an authority on DAOs.
1: Hey, uh, thanks for the intro, Adam. We're really looking forward to this. Um, so I am by trade a photographer. I was a photographer for full time for uh, just over 10 years. Here in the UK, as you can tell by my accent, I'm American, but I am an expat for nearly 20 years now, living in Spain, living in the UK, uh, and I have a family over here. So uh, when the when the pandemic hit, like many others, I found myself sat behind my computer, wondering how to trade this magic internet money, and I went to the Bankless podcast for Alpha, and I was learning how to, you know, learning more about. The Ethereum ecosystem specifically and and other tokens that surround that ecosystem and blockchains in general, I became a premium subscriber and they airdropped uh, level one membership, which is 35,000 bank tokens to all premium subscribers. So next thing I knew I was creating a MetaMask so I could claim my Po app, which was, you know, it seemed like an exciting thing to do at the time. Um, and I started exploring the DAO ecosystem through Bankless DAO. Uh, I really didn't know where I fit in because what does a photographer do in crypto? Uh, well, it yeah. turns out that media is a big, is a big requirement in crypto. People want spread to the, spread the word. Um, and I found myself in the design guild. I am kind of a detail-oriented person. So I found that creating roles and filling those roles uh, it was something I, I enjoyed doing. So I created the the talent coordinator role within the design guild, and that was sort of disseminated across Bankless DAO to other guilds as well. Um, and through that talent coordinator role, I started to get involved in these projects. Talent co- coordinator role in, in design guild is essentially we have designers, we have projects, projects need designers. So you kind of marry the two up, the two up kind of like a... Um, uh I guess a um somebody who is uh like a headhunter uh some similar to that so I'm accessing all these projects sort of figuring out what they need and and plugging designers in and all the while getting the alpha on the different projects like Fight Club like Bankless Academy and helping guide those, um, taking on some advisory roles and sort of helping helping push the narratives that need to be pushed, helping them promote themselves, um, taking my sort of higher level ideas and seeing if any of them fit, helping those advance the project and then also helping other people sort of bring their ideas to fruition. So, it was a lot of dealing with people a lot of dealing with the brand a lot of dealing with um what projects are doing within the bankless dao ecosystem and how those all plug into the wider dao ecosystem mm-hmm. that led me to dalationships which is actually the first where we met for the first time mm-hmm. um <clears throat> dalationships is a guild in bankless dao i think they might be transitioning to a project soon um but essentially what what dalationships does is guides guides projects um, on getting involved within the Bankless DAO ecosystem. And so let's say, for example, you're a, a DEX and you want to find some, some contributors, uh, developers. So we would bring you in and say, OK, here's where you need to go. Uh, get involved with the dev guild. Uh, these are the people you need to talk to. If you want to run a demo, come back in three weeks when your product's ready and we'll help you run a demo in the Discord server. Um, and that turned into these AMAs. So some of you might know me from running Bankless DAO AMAs. I started that work stream um, probably nearly two years ago now. November 2021 was my first my first AMA within Discord. And not long after we moved over to Twitter just to sort of capture that that network effect that we have on Twitter we have a large following on Bankless DAO there. Um, and so yeah just doing that introduced me to tons of different projects uh centralized projects decentralized projects people from all around the world uh projects which many of them have now disappeared uh, a few of them have gone on to succeed wildly mm-hmm. um i've been been lucky enough to interview people from the gitcoin community from rocket pool from lido finance from a number of other large organizations, um, Dow. And so it's just been, over the last two plus years has been explosive for me in personal growth. And now I'm learning a lot about uh, legal entities, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about how, yes. you know, obviously uh, you've got a lot to do with that. And, and that kind of brings us together as well. I've been exploring the MeDAO ecosystem and other legal entities around the world for for different projects that I'm involved in to try and see what fits with them. So, whether or not awesome. I'm an expert in DAOs, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you know, I haven't quite done my ten thousand hours yet. But I'm. Pretty yeah, I
0: wonder if anyone has.
1: <laughs> we're getting um, there.
0: That's, that's awesome. You know, I, I think uh, like one of the things I love about this introduction you just gave is anyone who's new to DAOs, there were at least ten, if not twenty, terms. That they need to go look up. And these are either things like tools you mentioned, DAOs you mentioned, things about Bankless DAO, which comes up a lot on the show because it's one of the early DAOs and one of the most successful DAOs, in my opinion, I'm sure yours as well. Um, and and you, fairly unique as well. It's not just like a, a DeFi—not I don't mean just—but it's not a DeFi protocol, which is what a lot of the big successful DAOs are. Although I may have contributed to a number of, of DeFi-related projects, um, so re- really cool. And it's awesome to have you on the show as someone who's been there since the beginning and now getting involved in other projects. So th- thank you for the, the great intro. And really, anyone who's new to DAOs, if you're if you're just trying to learn as fast as you can, go Google. Or search Twitter for all the things Chris just mentioned in the in the intro. Um, let's turn to the Just DAO it News Report. So this is a part of the show where we go over recent Dow news from the past few weeks since the last show, and we share our reactions. So Chris, I'll be looking for you to agree, disagree, share a hot take, share some alpha, share uh, w- whatever your reactions are to the stories that I'm going to share uh, here on the show. So. The first story of the week comes from Nature Biotechnology, which is an academic journal. Um, so I love seeing when DAOs get mentioned in these like very serious like traditional forums, not even like Web 2 or Web 1. This is like, they probably published this thing on paper before Web 1. Um, so the, the headline is, The Community of the DAO. And the subtitle is, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations Are Growing as Alternative Research Funding Models but are also strong scientific communities, we should get on board. So the author clearly feeling like he or she is coming from the, the traditional world, the web two world and saying, let's go get on board with DAOs. Um, I think it's interesting that the author highlighted DAOs as an alternative funding model. They do also say later that it's also an alternative uh, knowledge sharing model for scientists. The article goes on to talk about how DAOs employ tokens for fundraising purposes, amassing treasuries that are used for research funding. The tokens also serve as a voting mechanism, allowing community members to determine which projects the accumulated treasury will be allocated. And at the core of these communities are scientists, clinicians, entrepreneurs, patients and members of the public who are interested in advancing a scientific field. The article does go on to say that right now DAOs are not self-sustaining. The reason they say this is that these DAOs are fighting to raise more money. I'm not sure I agree that 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 general Assessment that DAOs are not self-sustaining is accurate. I think you know companies and projects of all kinds are always struggling to raise money. That's kind of normal. Of course, we'll need to see these DAOs uh, succeed if this is going to be an indicator of uh, of, of progress. Um, and I think some of them are. So some of the DAOs that are mentioned in the article are Vita DAO, which is focused on longevity, um, Valley DAO for synthetic bio- biology and climate change, and actually connecting synthetic biology to climate change. Athena DAO for women's health. Hairdow is one I like because they're trying to figure out uh, how to help uh, people grow back their hair. Which, for those of you who were on the show about a year and a half ago, I was totally bald. We talked about Hairdow, and I'm not involved with Hairdow, but I have hair now. You know, thanks to some some uh, stuff I'm putting on my head. So you know, oh really? So, is
1: that? I thought you had just shaved your head and let it grow back. I
0: mean, I had, but but this is this is more than I used to have. So I got to give credit to uh, what's it called. Uh, Finasteride and minoxidil, something okay. like that. And I just got it from Hims, right? Forhims.com, but okay. it, it does seem to be working. But you know, at the time, I told these guys from Hairdow. I think they were on the show, and I said, "How do I know who to trust?" I mean, there's advertisements all the time saying this thing will regrow your hair in X months, and it's just no way to know. So I ended up taking a chance, but I would have felt more comfortable if I were part of a like citizen t- scientist community who had actually validated the claims and like done its own research without. You know, like this private company that's clearly going to benefit from telling you it works, telling you it works. So, um, mm-hmm. anyways, interesting stuff. So, cer- certainly, it's a really cool use case for DAOs, is this kind of science uh, and DSI and, uh, uh, area. Uh, any thoughts on this, Chris?
1: Yeah, well, I, I really like this article. Um, and the thing that I thought was interesting was they they talk about why certain research projects are taking off within DAOs, and they tend to be underfunded projects. Um, Climate change, I know, is getting a big push now, um, but it seems to be something that is more of a passion for people. Um, So the beauty of DAOs is it's a mission-led organization. So people who are passionate about a project get together and they push forward this initiative um, I can see why hair would be popular because the people who want to grow their hair back are more incentivized to get involved with this type of project. Mm-hmm. Um, I was down in Cambridge in the UK recently. Um, I was photographing an event down there and I was at the their, one of their cancer research facilities um, talking to the guy down there who, who leads the labs. And he didn't even, he didn't know anything about Dai, He knew nothing about VitaDAO. He hadn't heard of, of, of decentralized science as a whole. Um, and he was the same age as me, seemed like he was clued in, but it's just not really talked about in that realm. Um, so I feel like, you know, that's something that we're really going to benefit from within the DAO ecosystem and having these decentralized organizations is funding projects that would otherwise go unfunded.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I love what you said about kind of capturing passion, because I I think it's one of the really easy ways to argue why DAOs are going to be so successful is that in the traditional world, if you're passionate, if you're really passionate about a cause, right? Some kind of mission, your options are like, okay, one, like donate to an organization. All right. Like, that's cool. You donate, move on with your life and you feel a little bit better because you donated something you believe in or like join the board of a nonprofit, which is an incredible amount of work. It's a huge responsibility. There's legal liability involved. You got to know how to do it. You got to show up regularly and there's nothing in between right until now. Now there's something in between, which is, Hey, you can actually, you know, buy in, get governance rights in this organization, but it's okay. You don't have to show up at a meeting every month. If you don't want to, you don't have to vote all the time if you don't want to. And now you haven't just given away money. You've bought into something that you're part of. Right. And it's kind of similar. It's like, do you want to just join a mailing list or do you want to join an organization?
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, um, taking out as an example, they're creating NFTs, which are essentially like IP rights. So not only do you own a a part Mm -hmm. of the community, you also own a part of what they're producing as well. Yeah, that's 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 patentable. If, and I always I always think of MoonDAO when I think of these decentralized organizations that are that are pushing forward to mm-hmm. the edge of science. Um, you know they are rocket scientists. They are propulsion scientists, and they they're creating things which which would otherwise be owned by a centralized entity, aka Elon or NASA, and mm-hmm. and nobody really sees the benefit of the profits from that except those organizations. And I'm not trying to say that what they don't do isn't, isn't needed. And they're, they're providing fantastic services for us. Um, But it gives people who would otherwise not benefit from the financial side, the financial upside of that investment, a chance to get involved.
0: Mm, Yep. Awesome. I love it. All right. Turning to the next story of the week. This, Uh, is from JD Supra, which also is a fairly serious uh, law related uh, publication. And the headline is The Dow Jungle Chronicles Federal Judge Upholds Treasury Department Sanction of Tornado Cash for Involvement in Laundering Hacking Proceeds. Boo. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> boo for sure. So first of all, um, the article mentions that the same authors recently roast articles about. Uh, Wyoming laws about Dow LLCs, which is, is cool, similar to what we've done in the Marshall Islands, and also a recent California federal court decision uh, holding that a DAO would be treated as a general parp- uh, partnership for the purposes of the lawsuit. And and now this uh, article is about a, a case in Texas uh, where similar issues are coming up about like, can you sue tornado cash? I mean, is it a thing, like, is it an entity? Is it, can you sue the people? Can you censure a protocol, right? And like, what does that even mean? Um, and uh, what's interesting here to me, so a couple things. So first of all, one of the defenses that some of the tornado cash related people came to the judge and said, well, this is just decentralized software, like how can you sanction something that's just a decentralized protocol that no one controls and no one owns? And the judge basically said, well, look, it was built by developers. This DAO controls it still today. How can you say it's, it's totally autonomous? Like clearly it's built and controlled by people. And, and I, think, I think the judge has a point. I mean, whatever side you want to come down on this thing, I, I think we are a little too ideal, idealistic sometimes in crypto about saying, hey, it's just decentralized software. When in reality, there's a multi-sig or a DAO or some people who, who really do have some control mm-hmm. or certainly relationship with the protocol. And I think we have to kind of acknowledge that. No, sometimes the goal is to, to reduce the influence and involvement of people over time so that it does becomes totally decentralized in the long run. And I think there's nothing long, uh, wrong with that. Um, the other thing in this article, so again, it, it kind of uh, touches on the issue of, um, you know, what uh, is a DAO? How, what's the treatment of a DAO according to the law? And in, in this lawsuit, the, the, the government is saying, again, that any group of people that comes together and works on something together, which a DAO certainly sounds like it, it is that is going to be treated as a general partnership under the law, which means the people involved can be held liable for the activity of the organization and the software. Um, and this article goes on to say, like, people in the space need to be careful and realize that governments and courts are going to apply pretty broad, like flexible um, uh, uh, application of the law to these situations, they're not going to like use the same like kind of loophole or or like nuance argument that people in crypto are necessarily saying like, oh, it's decentralized software. They're going to say, no, like for hundreds of years, we've said any group of people that gets together and does something can be held liable for what they do unless you know they form a legal entity, which limits their liability, which again is a business I'm in and you said something you're getting more into. Um, but we can't just expect that, what's held true for the last you know 100 or 200 years is, is no longer going to hold true here so what, what do you <clears> think chris
1: well it's interesting that they're adopting that definition of association and um so that is citing the oxford english dictionary as it, as they've done here it means a body of persons who have combined to execute common purpose or advance a common cause so the manifest agreement that the plaintiff sought to require the court held was not applicable to this matter. As a result, OFAC only had to prove that Tornado Cash consists of a body of individuals and that this group exists to further a common purpose. So it's basically a group of individuals with a common goal, otherwise known as a mission, and DAOs are mission-oriented associations essentially. Um <clears throat> this is why personally I'm getting more involved with with trying to make sure the associations that I'm involved with are are covered legally uh, to just sort of mm-hmm. spread that liability to a company and sort of separate myself from it um, because even though you know I. I don't do anything nefarious, and I wasn't involved with Tornado Cash. I don't think you know the the people who created Tornado Cash weren't doing anything nefarious either. What they're trying to do is in- inject a bit of privacy into uh, an otherwise public blockchain, <clears throat> because realistically, you don't want people knowing that you've got half a million dollars in some account somewhere, um, and what the The approach that we should take is okay. If you want me to prove where I got my money, I can prove where I got that money. If you want to serve me with an injunction, then then okay, let's let's go ahead and do it. But otherwise, I don't want anybody to be able to look up my addresses and you know see where I've KYC'd on some exchange, and then all of a sudden they know exactly who I am. Um, so. There are pluses and minuses. This is this is regulation coming to DAOs. It's it's a necessary evil, um, but we also need to treat it really carefully because if you know you give an authoritative body an inch, they will take a mile.
0: Yeah, and, and to their credit, I don't think the government is actually punishing the people involved in this in the United States. There was a developer overseas in a in a Western European country who got arrested, and I don't I don't even know still if they've publicly announced why they arrested the person but it was one of the tornado cash developers so clearly there, there's got to be a connection there um but to the government's credit they're just saying you, like you can't use the thing like d- don't use tornado cash and and that was that was the context of this suit they're not putting these people in jail because they participated in the dow but 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 you never know i mean they're certainly leaving the path open to to do something like that in the future mm-hmm yeah. All right. Next article of the week. This one is from a16zcrypto.com, uh, which is the you know one of the biggest uh, VCs and crypto VCs that publishes a lot of content as well. Uh, it's by Miles Jennings, who has written extensively about DAOs and legal issues for DAOs. He's a, a lawyer that works with the firm. And this article is called Machiavelli for DAOs, Designing Effective Decentrali- Decentralized Governance, Part 2. Um, so uh this is interesting right and i think you know when i hear machiavelli right i i the world i was raised in machiavelli is like the kind of like almost evil like like uh guide to how to be a leader like he's the one who advised kings who maybe like tortured people and went to war you know, back during the Renaissance, and you know, he's the one who said, "Hey, it, there's no reason to be charitable in private because no one will know. What what benefit do you get from that? So, if you're going to give money, do it in public." So, so all these like kind of kind of uh, social psychology and like power related advice for at the time kings and, and other rulers. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, so interesting to see this applied to Dao's, but I, I think there is at least a, a point here. Um, that, that I, can, uh, I, can, I can respect. So, you know, fr- first of all, Miles goes on to explain um, uh, a little bit of context here for why he cares about DAOs and believes in DAOs in the first place. So he says, Web3 should triumph over Web2 because Web3 enables decentralization. Decentralization reduces censorship and promotes liberty. Liberty enables opposition to power and opposition to power drives greater progress. I love that. And then he says, but first we need to fix decentralized governance. <laughs> so uh, I think, um, yeah, right. So he's saying like, this is all awesome, but like we got to figure out how to do DAOs in the first place. And I, I don't think most people would disagree that like sometimes, mm-hmm. just like everything in life, sometimes DAOs are hard and because they're new, especially we're running into challenges that we need to address. And 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 Miles is, is, is suggesting some solutions. So so that's great. He's, it's not like he's saying DAOs have failed. He's saying DAOs are the future. Now let's just, you know, fix Figure out how to do them do them well um, in terms of machiavelli he goes on to say machiavelli's philosophy was developed with a pragmatic understanding formed in that time of the struggle for social power these social power struggles are similar to those experienced by protocols and their dows which often have unclear unpredictable or inefficient social hierarchies so um, what i want to agree with here at least is i think Especially a lot of the earlier DAOs, but I think a lot of DAOs in general, um, kind of approached uh, structuring themselves by saying, we don't want to have a lot of structure. Because they're kind of reacting to Web2 or corporate America, whatever you want to call the traditional corporate world, where there is so much structure... And a lot of top-down structure, right? From management down, HR sideways, accounting sideways, all kinds of policies and rules. And people are kind of reacting to that world and saying, well, we, we don't like that world. We want to build something different. So let's just get rid of all the structure and see what happens. And and I think it's probably fair to say that most leaders in the DAO space, and we've got one here, or at least probably both of us here. So I'm curious what you'll say about this would say that, that, that's not necessarily, it, probably often not a good idea, actually. And that being decentralized and being more democratic and more censorship resistant, et cetera, doesn't necessarily mean you can't have any structure. It, it might just be a different structure. Maybe even in some ways you need more structure to allow a very decentralized, global, large group of people to effectively govern an organization. Um, so uh, whether there's more structure or not, I think the other key point here is is to look at social psychology, right? And you could also say just like look at business, right? Look at the history of the study of business, the study of social groups. And there's all kinds of lessons we've learned of all going all the way back to Machiavelli, but especially I'd say the last 30 or 40 years of Business and psychology and social psychology research that we need to apply to DAOs and look at how social systems form, um, how power operates in either a vacuum of of structure or even how power operates within structure. And um, you know, a good example of this, by the way, is Talent DAO. So you know, a, a, if people want to check out, you know, a DAO that's producing kind of academic quality research on how do we apply the academic kind of knowledge and theory of business and psychology to DAOs. They're doing a lot of great, great work there. But yeah, Mm -hmm. let me see, Chris, what do you think about, about some of the things I've shared and and from this article?
1: I really like that opening paragraph. And I think we could fix the last line by just saying, we need to fix decentralized governance so we can fix centralized governance. I feel like there are so many Mm -hmm. problems with the the traditional centralized governance models that... Crypto is here to fix, but we can't fix them yet because we're still trying to fix our own governance models. Part of that problem is that many of these organizations are trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not taking, uh, from what I've seen, I, I've met a lot of brilliant people who do have a, a great history working in in various realms of governance, um, either through their own civil service in their own country or um you know just in large organizations which have very well developed governance models Um, and those people know what they're doing but a a lot of other people myself included we do not know what we're doing and we're trying to come up with solutions to problems that may have already been solved before so i think part of what we really need to do is look to the centralized governance models and and pick and choose what does work Mm -hmm and can continue to implement those things as we need them. Um, <clears throat> an example of that is quadratic voting, you know, quadratic voting I, I believe was uh, introduced in European parliament. I could be wrong there. Mm. Um, but it was used uh, to sort of spread the voting weight in a more equal way. And now quadratic voting is used in things like Gitcoin um, coin, get donation rounds, uh, many different voting, structures for um for snapshot voting etc um so with regards to this um so okay so so the term that we had in bankless dao when i first started was herding cats we're all herding cats herding cats herding cats and it felt exactly like that because cats i've got two of them running around my feet right now (laughs) no one's in charge they're all in charge and no one's in charge and that's what everybody thought we had to do that's what people thought the remit was that because we were decentralized there was no leader that's not the case you have to have leaders because otherwise things just don't get done so to um you know i i I didn't actually read through this article, so I don't want to really speak to the Machiavellian principles that that he talks about in here. Um, But I can relate to the idea that um, you need to build for yourself in order to build for others. Um, Does that make sense? You have to be slightly selfish in the way that you lead a project but with an altruistic perspective now i know altruism has has a bad rap right now especially with sam Beckman fried going through trial uh because he was an effective altruist um but if you if you look to the gitcoin community and i know we'll be talking about them soon um if you look to um what they're trying to do and if you look at the optimism community i'm wearing my optimism shirt today in support nice. um, It's about creating a positive flywheel, and it's about um, putting something into motion and then feeding that with more positive results and more positive results. But in order to do that, you have to first put it into motion. You have to have that first person who might have a selfish intent to profit off of something. And once that person profits, then you get something which becomes a public good moving forward. so yeah, leaders are definitely required in any organization. Otherwise, it's just a collective.
0: Okay, yeah, I like it. And by, you know, somehow I missed this earlier, but this article is really long. Um, and I definitely recommend people check it out. I'm just gonna tell you the, the, the four guidelines that uh, Miles goes on to share that he calls Machiavellian guidelines. So um, this, the four guidelines are one, governance minimization, Two, balancing the leadership class. Three, continual upheaval, and four, accountability of leadership. So, I mean, we could even without reading these sections of the article, we could probably spend hours discussing each of them. But it's interesting that two of the four mention leadership, which which you just you just said something I I agree one hundred percent with, which is just because DAOs usually don't have management doesn't mean they don't need leadership right and there's a big difference and you can even have management you could have a decentralized management structure or management of certain things but even if you don't have management you need leadership right i mean leadership refers to people uh excelling in their own behavior setting an example for others spreading Get uh, motivating people towards a shared mission and vision. Those are things that you can do even if, you know, if you have no governance power or no uh, official top-down control, right? Mm-hmm. And so those things are always important. And at the same time, you know, I think especially where there is leadership with hard power, then then keeping them accountable, as as Miles mentions here, makes sense too. So any additional reflections? Just hearing those those guidelines.
1: Yeah, I like the accountability of leadership one, uh, because accountability of leadership in a DAO means you're accountable to what the DAO wants you to do. Uh, They vote. Um, It's a bottom up structure. Accountability of leadership in a traditional organization means you're accountable to the board of directors and the board of directors, especially in a public company are accountable to their their shareholders the shareholders are there specifically for profit now there are shareholders who might want to vote um for more for greener initiatives but those are usually led by board directors who say okay we feel like our shareholders would want us to um push green initiatives to to be greener to buy carbon credits to reduce our carbon footprint so in terms of where these initiatives are coming from, I think we're going to find over time that a community led accountability structure is actually better for the world as a whole because oftentimes the accountability from the board of directors may be coming from a, a more Machiavellian principle, right? Mm. So, uh, There's a lot of talk about ESG, um, and I am a strong supporter of diversity in communities. I'm a strong supporter of green initiatives. Pollution is horrible. We need to keep the planet as green as possible. I come from Washington State, which is a beautiful place uh, with a lot of nature, and we need to preserve that. Uh, But I do feel like it is a bit of a... um, jumping on the bandwagon exercise by a lot of boards of directors where they say, "Okay, we have to do this. Otherwise, we're going to be canceled as a company. And it might not necessarily be something that is for the greater good. Um, I know that the whole Budweiser thing recently was was very um, contentious in a lot of different communities. I feel like Budweiser made that decision because they were trying to speak to a community so they could, so they could adopt them, even though, so I heard this from a number of different perspectives and I heard that they felt like they spoke to the frat houses too much they 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 wanted to sort of shed that frat house vibe but mm. the frat houses were their true fans their thousand true fans they were the people <laughs> you know and so they felt alienated when they were forced to adopt an image that they didn't necessarily agree with now uh all personal opinions aside um i feel like the community of Budweiser drinkers probably would not have supported a decision to to push the narrative that they were pushing. Mm -hmm. Again, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But they alienated a lot of their community by making that decision. Mm -hmm. So if you compare top-down accountability Mm -hmm. to bottom-up accountability, I feel like the messages that organizations are putting out to the world will be closer aligned to what the public actually wants.
0: That's interesting. So, in the Budweiser case, if there had been so like the, the feedback loop today is all the all the customers could do if, since they hated the decision again, right or wrong, was just stop buying Budweiser, which means the company mm-hmm. is like plummeting uh, in in the rankings and and their financials. From what I understand, if instead there was a mechanism to give their community and their customers more voice. Even just more voice, they mm-hmm. might have avoided this problem, right? And that's a huge Absolutely. part of what people are doing in DAOs, and it goes farther than just voice. It's it's rights, it's governance rights. Um, but but there's and but there's a lot of middle ground, right? And I think you know, and, and even talking about you talk about sh- like shareholders and boards. Realistically today, let's say we're talking about Facebook. And like a group of shareholders wants to make a change. you have to wait for like the annual meeting to vote mm-hmm. on board members who then can try to oust Mark Zuckerberg or influence him, but probably fail. So it's like a year long cycle that will probably fail versus, you know, the Facebooks of the future like Farcaster, which just today actually uh, Farcaster actually went. Fully decentralized, mm-hmm. uh, permissionless, so anyone can join. Farcaster now, which is which is a, a leading Web three social platform, a Twitter alternative, a Facebook alternative. Um, You know, if, if, I mean, it's, it goes even beyond just sharing governance rights. It's like no one's in charge of Farcaster. You can do whatever you want. And if someone doesn't like what you're doing, they can just ignore you. So it even goes beyond decentralized governance. But there is also, you know, decentralized governance involved, which means if everyone involved wants to change something, they don't have to wait for the annual meeting. They don't have to hope that the board is going to align with them and then influence Mark Zuckerberg. They can just go make that change today. Um, And that's such a radical departure from, you know, the way Facebook is today. And and a lot of people consider that part of our public square, right? So Mm -hmm. do we want our public square controlled by Mark Zuckerberg or do we want it controlled by decentralized governance? And obviously what Miles is saying and what we would agree strongly with is we definitely want the latter.
1: Absolutely. And I also should really touch on this governance minimization as well. This is something that, you know, we deal with constantly in our traditional structures is everything is overly bureaucratic. We build in too many layers make it as simple as possible minimize your governance to make everything less complex um, and just make it easier for for people to get involved and actually understand what's going on because with Mm -hmm. so much happening in daos so much happening around us there's so much noise it's difficult to actually understand what you're voting on it's Mm -hmm. difficult to understand how to push a proposal forward it's difficult to understand um, you know even the basics. So, we want people to become comfortable with these structures and be accustomed to actually getting involved with them because that's what they're here yeah. for.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, one of the DAOs I was in in the early days a couple of years ago, I remember saying something that I'm not going to say I 100% still believe, but I think it, there's something to it, which is I used to say that, that the governance process is there for when we can't resolve conflict on our own. And it was like, like we were planning events, mm-hmm. right. It was, it was Dow planet, which still there's going to be a Dow planet at ETH Denver again, which is a great annual Dow event. And they do other events. Um, but at the time it was like, look, if, if we're all just like in the chat room and we're just like fine, like trusting each other and, you know, everyone's okay with the decisions people are making and, you know, everything's going smoothly. You don't, need to necessarily put everything to a vote but when there's a conflict between people or you can't decide it's not clear that like if i go spend this money on this thing everyone's just gonna say okay we'll reimburse you then then you go to governance and you use governance mm-hmm. so i don't think it's quite so simple because there's also you know there's value and transparency when you do on-chain governance even if everyone agrees about you know what the outcome is um mm-hmm. but i think there's something to that where you minimize it when you can right don't don't, don't force complex governance process when you don't need it
1: yeah if you can avoid going to snapshot as much as possible that means the a in your DAO is working
0: mm, autonomous nice mm-hmm. yep and by the way if anyone hasn't seen snapshot go look up snapshot uh, governance tool that's very popular amongst dows um, all right turning to the next article might be the last one we have time for uh, this article is from dlnews.com and the headline is Gitcoin, DAO, GAF sees $500,000 in GTC tokens lost forever. Uh, GTC tokens are the tokens that are meant to fund uh, a, uh, they were going to be used to fund a governance work stream. And they were mistakenly sent to a a contract that has no ability to send that money back out. So the funds cannot be recovered. And um, a new proposal has been created, I think, to just refund the group that lost the money with just new tokens. It's maybe not the end of the world here when you have plenty of tokens to go around or you can just print new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think what's interesting about this story to me, like my highlight is we talk about this a lot, which is there are some DAOs where the, the governance process directly controls the treasury, where you have to submit a proposal and then that proposal has to be voted on. And if it's approved, the money moves and that's like direct control of treasury. In this situation, there's a multi-sig involved where first everyone voted to approve the the use of this $500,000 of tokens. And then a small group of humans, possibly just one or a multi-sig manually went and went to move the money and made a mistake. And so usually the, the problem with this kind of separation of like multi-sig from governance um, is that you can't trust people to maybe not defraud the organization or refuse to do what the DAO tells them to do, but it also can lead to, pro- to mistakes. You know, I, I, I think there's a good chance that if this was a direct governance vote to move $500,000 worth of tokens, someone would have hopefully noticed that it was going to be sent to the wrong place and told everyone, don't vote for this thing. But instead it was one person using MetaMask or maybe it was a few people using a multi-sig and accidentally mm-hmm. set the money to the wrong place. So, you know, I'm a big fan generally of of using the kind of direct governance control of treasury model rather than, you know, trusting multi-sigs. But Chris, I know you're actually pretty connected at Gitcoin and maybe you can provide some additional color or, or tell me if I'm wrong about anything here.
1: Uh, I'm not necessarily connected to Gitcoin, but I do have a history of, of uh, running rounds with them and interviewed a few okay. of them and had the pleasure of meeting Kevin Awaki recently. Um, so first of all, yeah, I would like to agree that, um, when you're moving funds around, you definitely need, if, if you're doing it through a manual process, you have to be able to audit that. And when you look at the address, don't just copy paste it, especially if it's $500,000, just read through the address and double check where that's going to go when it's such a large amount, you might want to do start with a small amount, start with a thousand dollars. I moved a thousand dollars to one of my bank accounts recently from a, using a really cool on off-ramp tool. Um, You just send stables to a zero X address and 30 seconds later, it's in your bank account. Um, I don't always know whether that's going to work or not, even though it has worked every single time. So I start with 10 bucks and then I do 50 bucks and then I do a thousand bucks. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I would highly recommend anybody who's moving large amounts of money like that to just do it in stages. And I know it's difficult to get multi-signers together. And I've been, I've tried to swap tokens before from a multi-sig and missed the opportunity. Um, uh, Slippage can be a big deal, but when you're just moving tokens, all it takes is a few extra steps to sign again. We had a similar situation with a payment run recently, uh, in one of the projects I work on. Um, the project lead put the payroll together, went to ship it, everybody had signed, I was the last signer on it, and I, and I looked and I was like, that seems like a high amount. Uh, so I went back and double checked the numbers and it turned out that it, he had submitted this pay run and the previous pay run to be paid out again. Um, and so we stopped it, we reversed the transaction, we recalculated and sent out, but you know, how many times have people made those those mistakes without even realizing they've paid an extra thousand dollars. Um, and when you're dealing th- the, the beauty of a, of a multi-sig is that you're, that you have more eyes on it, but it almost seems like the more people who are involved, the easier it is to pass the buck. So mm-hmm. there has to be somebody yeah. who is like your accountability buddy who comes in and, and checks those things. Um, yeah. With regards to to get themselves, I mean, this must be uh, I want to say painful, but I've I have read what you mentioned there that, you know, they're going to be able to reissue the tokens and it's really no money lost. Um, but it is definitely a learning experience. Um, I think what's really interesting is that when they do get bad press, everybody talks about it. Um, so here's a tweet from Kevin Awaki that was posted yesterday. He says, Gitcoin's positive impact, $50 million, thousands of projects supported, press coverage, this much. And for those of you not watching, I'm putting my fingers together an inch apart. Not very much. Gitcoin fucks something up, press coverage. Oh my god, the negativity <laughs> bias is real. And he posted a screenshot of a bunch of different articles. Uh, Gitcoin's blunder, Gitcoin loses over $400,000, cryptocurrencies underperform. Uh, yeah, along with all the rest of the negative news on crypto. Um, he goes on to say Gitcoin has funded Web3 Infra, community at OSS, Ukraine humanitarian rounds, climate DSI, COVID relief, and dozens of other causes. But okay, ask me about shell oil for the hundredth time. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know about the shell oil debacle, go ahead and look that up. But, you know, it just goes to show that you can, you can serve thousands of divine meals in your fine dining restaurant and you get one bowl of soup with hair in it. And then the next thing you're, you know, you're, you're getting raked over the coals and the ratings. So you know when you see these negative bias news reports just take them all with a grain of salt uh because gitcoin is doing a fantastic job um and they have a lot we have a lot to be thankful for to have them out there
0: yeah you know what i would say though that maybe he's being a little bit too defensive because part of the value of transparency in these protocols is that everyone will see when there's a mistake and be able to call it out that's true and I, you know, and I don't think anyone right now is saying like Gitcoin shouldn't exist because they accidentally lost $500,000, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that they're calling them, especially because it's a effectively a nonprofit. I don't know if they're legally registered or not, but it's, this is like a charitable organization. They shouldn't be losing half a million dollars.
1: Yeah, they certainly shouldn't be. So um, have your accountability, buddy. Double check your work, cross your eyes and dot your T's.
0: Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, there's a podcast I listen to called uh, Blocked and Reported, which is um, basically these uh, people who have gotten canceled in their prior life, you know, starting their own podcast and newsletter so they can say what they really, and they're journalists, everything they do is like research based, Mm -hmm. but they they just get canceled a lot. And they've been talking about just some of the terrible ways that money was misused by like BLM, Black Lives Matter, that whole Mm -hmm. movement. Um, Some of accidental, like there was like a bunch of organizations called Black Lives Matter. And like some of them were not even really related to what people were trying to give money to, but companies donated to them because they were in such a rush to give away money. Um, And then you have, you know, people that were like just extremely highly regarded at the time because they were leaders of elements of the movement. And now these people have these like $10 million houses and... You know just for being like running these nonprofits that were supposed to be using the money for good and so mm-hmm. like all these things that happen in the TradFi world may not have happened if these were dows right if they were moving their money transparently on chain uh maybe first of all no one would have approved wasting the money in these ways and and if anyone had people would have seen it and said what do you wh- what are you, what are you doing with that why, why apple why did you just give money to this like blm that's not really blm or hey whatever leader why how'd you afford a $10 million house? <laughs> so um, lots of benefits that are gonna come from people being able to call out this type of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, uh, we need to remember not to just pass the buck whenever we get that opportunity. And I see it in multi-sigs all the time, you know, where where it's kind of like, yeah. okay, we need people to sign, 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 and you know, whoever submits the transaction is supposedly going to be accountable for checking the the accounting the way i've seen it in a number of the projects i'm i'm in is you'll have an accountant who puts the payroll together the accountant submits the transaction to the Mm. the champion and the champion reviews the accounts and then submits that to the multi-sig and then collects the multi-signers and it will be say three of five or five of seven or four of seven and we all go on and just sign. And the the idea that we can just go sign is a bit of a problem because realistically mm-hmm. we should be double checking that so you should have four eyes on that on that transaction rather than just yeah. trusting the accountant.
0: Yeah. And I think there's trade offs like this that we're going to have to just get used to in the new world of immutable ledgers and the benefits we get from being able to send an, an infinite of money, amount of money instantly and settle mm-hmm. instantly which is like incredibly valuable but that means you better not send it to the wrong place because then they're gonna They'll go send it to the burn, it burn address instantly. yeah <laughs> um,
1: how, many, how many board so, apes have been sent to the burn address and and speaking of safes as well um A lot of people don't know this, but okay. so if you have a wallet, let's say you create a MetaMask wallet and you've got your 0x address, you might have an ENS attached to that. Um, If you want to receive some optimism tokens, people can send those OP tokens to that same address. All you have to do is add optimism network to your MetaMask and you're going to be able to view those tokens with a safe. It's not the same. So a Gnosis safe does not act the same way. If you send uh, say uh, polymatic tokens on polygon to the same safe that you have on ETH mainnet, it goes to a safe that you can't claim. Um, There is a way of doing it. You have to use the command line interface and it's very complicated um, and very expensive. Uh, Well, because you're gonna have to hire a dev to do it for you. but if you don't do it quickly enough, somebody else can actually do it and claim that account uh, by creating. They they basically spam mm-hmm. account creation, and I have heard of someone losing millions of dollars doing that. They sent it to the wrong, the mm-hmm. wrong the address that they thought was the correct address, uh, and somebody else came in there and swept the wallet out from under them.
0: This, so I just want to highlight this for people that are newer to blockchain because it's such a good and maybe level two kind of um, security point. Um, a little hard to understand, but normal wallets, right? You have the same address on any chain you use. So even if you've never used Optimism before, to your point, you could just give someone your wallet address that works on Ethereum and they can send it there and you'll be able to get it when you're ready. We get the money. But at any smart contract which is safe, a multi-sig safe is a smart contract, is is generally not gonna have the same address on each chain because you have to basically spin it up anew on each chain, which means you're getting a new address, Uh, unlike the wallet, which is just there by default. Um, So uh, now I wonder if this is, for someone who wants level three Googling to do, look up account abstraction. I wonder if account abstraction actually might solve this because you could use a, account and then but but then make it controlled by effectively a set of signers but it's an external account do you know Chris? Yeah, i have
1: not looked into that at all um mm-hmm. we're starting to use account abstraction within bankless card um and so mm-hmm. i'm sure that's something that we're going to be going to be dealing with because we will be dealing with multi-chain tokens
0: yeah, cool. And check out Bankless Card too, anyone who's, who's listening. Um, <laughs> all right, we're just going to do the last story real quick, um, and then we'll turn to the, the rest of the interview. What's cool about this, this uh, model is we really are doing an interview the whole time, right? It's just um, in between news stories. Uh, that said, yeah, yeah. Here, okay, so here's the last article for the week. This one is from Cointelegraph. Uh, DAOs need to learn from Burning Man for mainstream adoption. DAOs should learn from Burning Man's example for simplifying their missions and governance structures while keeping community members engaged. Okay, so the, the, the core tenet of this article, they're saying combine central planning with decentralized governance. Because apparently Burning Man, there's like a nonprofit corporation that does the planning, but then they let everybody kind of decide on some things. And then especially what you do when you show up to Burning Man is completely up to you. So it's like, we'll create the environment and then you come and you do whatever you want and maybe there's some decentralized governance. Now, I will say there's a lot of different kinds of DAOs and a lot of them are like Burning Man and a lot of them are not at all, right? I I do think there's a difference between like a DAO that's building a software protocol or product and a DAO that's hosting like an annual festival. Um, and maybe that's obvious and, and, and they're going to have different governance mechanisms, but that said, I think this is an interesting suggestion is like combine and a lot of crypto projects do this, right? They have like a foundation, a Devco, an opco, and they have a DAO and maybe it's a DAO LLC, whatever it is. And, and they kind of each have different responsibilities. Um, so I think it's a good suggestion.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, there are many ways that DAOs can adjust. To uh, we were talking about this earlier. Um, you know, grab from other organizational models to improve their outputs. Um, I read a really interesting article from David Hoffman. He was at Burning Man, and uh, you know, he was talking about how they have this this centralized uh, this centralized organization that puts down the sort of, it helps with, it's like the departments, right? The departments within Bankless DAO help everything run. So um, they do the street layouts, it's the infrastructure. And then you have all these other little, they're like sub DAOs all around the place and they've got their own rules, right? You show up and some of them don't require clothes. Uh, Some of them might want you to wear a chicken on your head (laughs) you know they might have all these different rules that that they want to impose upon the people who get involved in 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 their specific organization um now when it comes to um discipline i mean here's the thing right within a social structure we don't want certain behaviors we don't want people acting a fool and you know uh, Acting a fool, maybe not be the the best uh, the best way to put it, but you don't want people stealing, you don't want people causing harm to others, and so there need to be sort of a basic set of rules. But what do you do when somebody breaches those rules, right? So this is where I kind of struggle to see how. Um, I struggle to see how something like burning man could reach mass adoption for network cities because people expect a certain type of behavior um, in a city in, in, a, in, in any organization, right? If yeah. like if you walk into any small town, you don't expect people to go in and start stealing stuff, but we're seeing it in California. We're seeing it in other in other states and and certain cities around. Uh, the United States right now where people can walk in and just steal 999 worth of stuff from Target and walk out. How do you stop that, right? How do you how do you stop that without bogging down the legal system? So we might be getting a little off track here, but I, I see the benefit of having loose legal structures. Um, but you do have to figure out how to rein people in at the same time. There does have to be some some law in order, um, even if that law comes from code.
0: Yeah. Good point. And again, it varies so much depending on what kind of project you're building, like a city versus a music festival versus a software product versus mm-hmm. a charity, right? Um, are, are all But they're all going to be DAOs, right? And the people are building DAOs for all of these things. Um, all right. Well, let's use that as a segue into just a quick transition. Uh, that does it for the Just DAO at News Report. Before we start uh, the rest of the featured guest interview, a quick advertisement for MyDAO, my company. We do legal entities for DAOs. We also have a, a partner network of lawyers, tax advisors, and others who specialize in DAOs and Web3 all over the world that we can connect you with for free. And if you are a lawyer or some kind of professional advisor, please reach out so we can get you added to our network. The other thing I want to mention is that actually coming up in a few weeks is an interesting summit in a place called Prospera, which is a network state slash like modern crypto state of sorts uh, on an island in Honduras where we're going to be discussing crypto futurism and legal engineering. Um, I'll be speaking there. I think Kevin Iwaki or someone of his stature is also speaking there. Um, And if you want to find it, just Google crypto futurism and legal engineering. And uh, it should be a lot of fun and a really interesting uh, event. All right. Turning to the interview. Okay, Chris. So let's just... Briefly take one step back to the past, and then I want to just jump right into some like specific questions for you, advice for people starting DAOs, favorite tools, favorite DAOs, all this stuff. Um, in terms of the step back, I know you mentioned earlier a little bit about uh, finding the Bankless podcast and that being how you got into Web3 and DAOs. Is there more to the story of just like how you got into Web3 in the first place? Like what even made you look up the Bankless podcast or or got you interested? um, from the start.
1: Um, yeah, I guess if we were to go back to my first introduction to web three, it was, um, back in 2013. Um, and I had some, some stocks that I wanted to sort of divest, um, and sort of spread, spread my eggs a little bit. Um, my brother who is, he is, uh, he's very tech savvy, although he also owns no crypto. Um, he, um, I don't know if I should take that as a hint or not. Maybe I'm in the wrong industry. <laughs> um, no, I feel like we're doing the right thing here. Um, he said, you know, you can check out this Bitcoin thing. Uh, they use it in second life as a currency and you know, it's, it's new and innovative, it's been around for a little while. Uh, it's like $3 and 30 cents. So maybe check it out. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I, I took $5,000 and I had it ready to invest in Bitcoin at that point in time. And I was living here in the UK and it, it required me to wire money to a bank in Estonia. That was so I could get my money onto the centralized exchange called uh, Bitstamp. Now I thought wire money to Estonia. I don't know much about Estonia. Um, and that didn't instill much confidence in me. So. I just kind of stepped back and decided not to do it. And fast forward four years later, and I was like, wow, my $5,000 investment would have been worth a million dollars or whatever it was at the time. Well, now fast forward, it would be worth $40 million. So I try not to look back too far. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I did play around in the 2017 boom a little bit um i you know i bought in some shit coins like iota and a few other random ones um you know just playing around with things that i thought might be popular um and of course i bought at the top um and when the pandemic hit i was actually starting to play with stocks first um i was trading a little bit here and there at the end of 2020 um and my brother again Told me about uh, a short squeeze coming up on GameStop. And I thought, okay, first, I don't really know what GameStop is because I don't live in the States. Um, Second of all, what the hell is a short squeeze? And so I started looking (laughs) into it. And next thing you know, it went from $5 to $11 to $18. And my friends and I were like, okay, we're in. So, you know, we started buying it. I think I got in at around $30. And before we knew it, within five days, it was up over $400. We held a little ways too far, a little way down too far. Um, And I ended up breaking even. I sold some at the top, sold some after it dropped below 36. Um, And it was fun. It was a great ride, but it made me realize I don't know shit about trading. I need to really beef up on. On strategy, if I want to actually be a day a day trader, which I thought at that point in time I wanted to do, um, and that's when I started looking into all these different resources, uh, and that led me to Bankless. You know, I started looking at different crypto podcasts out there. The reason why I stuck with Bankless and the reason why I became a premium subscriber was because it just felt like they weren't shilling things. It felt like it was, um, uh, like it was a more technical report rather than hey buy my token and let's write it to the top. And little did you know they're selling it all the while in the background. A la BitBoy or you know, you name your 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 social shiller out there. Um so it felt like a safe bet to me. <clears throat> and as I said before, um I didn't even have a MetaMask wallet. I was airdrop these tokens uh which was they were essentially claimable through my email. Um, so I logged on to some interface and logged in and they gave me uh, the means of, of claiming those tokens. I can't really remember the, the process, what that looked like. Um, but by claiming those tokens, I was then able to go and vote in the first snapshot. Um, so I got that POAP. Um, you know, I was happy to have that. I got my premium subscriber POAP, my Bankless Nation POAP. <clears throat> and that kind of began my POAP journey. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my lead up to the intro to yeah. web three.
0: I love, you know, a couple interesting things to me. One is just how many people in crypto cut, co- they are, they come for the token mm-hmm. price appreciation and they stay for something that is so much deeper and more real. And you're like contributing to like structural, like governance and organizations and technology, even though you came for the, just for the numbers to go up <laughs> originally, or, you, yeah, or I, you were looking for a number that would go up. Right. And.
1: Absolutely. And you know, at one point I was like, okay, this is free money. Um, and I was thinking of just quitting my job as a photographer, uh, which wasn't hard to do because I wasn't working as a photographer much during the pandemic. Anyway, I couldn't leave my, my house. Own. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe this will be a good way to support myself, um, and I can see now in retrospect that it was it was a, a pre-designed rug pull, it feels like to me, um, by certain people who, you know, uh, Sam Beckman-Fried and, and the whole FTX crew were doing nefarious things, and they were not the only ones. Um, they were pumping their own bags at Alameda, and they were essentially Increase. they were inflating their assets through the price of FTT token and everything was going up and everybody thought it was just free money, except for those who were wiser and didn't think that. Um, but it was, you know, it was a learning lesson for me watching GameStop, watching that rise and fall, um, just looking at trend lines, uh, looking at different social metrics, looking at um, the, the the available data. And then you start to realize, you know, as a retail trader, we feel like we have power in the stock market, but we really don't, you know. Mm. Um, GameStop was uh, what happened with Robinhood. <clears throat> for those of you who, who aren't familiar with the GameStop saga, um, the the uh, the hedge funds had continued to short GameStop. <clears throat> to the point where it was going to go bankrupt um and when that became public knowledge the the public decided to buy and hold as much gamestop as they could so as the price started to go up the short sellers had to buy buy back the shares at a higher price and sell those shares so they could then buy back their next short and sell that. And every time they bought back, the price just went up and up and up and up and up. And that was that short squeeze. Now it was on track to hit a thousand dollars. And that was going from 10 days prior, it was $20. <clears throat> so it was a huge rise. And the supposedly what happened is the clearing house, which is Citadel mm-hmm. turned around to Robin hood and said, stop allowing purchases of GameStop, only allow cells. So they did that. Now I say supposedly because Vlad has consistently said that they were not told by the clearinghouse to not do that. Um, <clears throat> but that is a centralized authority, a centralized power, taking control of a trading platform to protect the interests of a higher power. Now that made me feel horrible inside I was I was as I was watching my account balance rise I was thinking about all the amazing things I was going to do for the people around me and I thought I I don't mean like I don't mean to come off as as super altruistic because I'm not you know I want to pay my bills and have a nice car and and take my kids on holidays and all that sort of stuff but I also understand that there are friends around me who are struggling to pay their rent. and there are people around me who who you know can't feed their kids and there are kids who don't have toys for Christmas. And that's a horrible feeling. And I was I was a part of me was thinking, this is going to be an amazing year. It's gonna be an amazing time in my life where I'm able to support the people who would have otherwise supported me if I wasn't able to, to feed my kids right? It's this sort of positive feedback loop that you create with your community. Community, I have a strong affinity towards community. Um, I was raised in a church environment. I'm not religious myself now, Um, but that church environment taught me the importance of supporting each other. It taught me the importance of communication. It taught me the importance of having a network of friends that you can call on when you need somebody. And I feel like the powers that be, the people who control the money, don't want us to have that, right? Well, they, they, in it,
0: this case, they they took that away from you, right? If Citadel shut down trading, if Robinhood shut down trading, they kind of took that away from you, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't even use Robinhood as a platform. Um, and I was just holding my tokens, but they were forcing people to sell tokens. They, people were actually logging on and realizing, oh, my tokens... Shares. Have- yeah, my shares yeah yeah my, my shares have been sold yeah. um so so yeah they took that away from me and you know it's I I was I was being overly optimistic in my views of what what was the final outcome of that. Um and I'm lucky I broke even and it was a, a great learning lesson for me. Yep. Um, but that really strengthened my resolve in Community building and being with a group of people who have uh, an aligned mission, right? That collective of people,
0: which it part well, partly is to make sure that financial systems in the future are not controlled by a small group of centralized individuals, like happened Absolutely. in this case, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Very interesting. Um, you know, the other thing I want to call out from your story because I think this is an interesting lesson for people thinking about starting DAOs and, and and projects of all kinds is the thing that the Bankless podcast did initially, the Bankless guys that turned into this massive successful DAO with hundreds or thousands of people passionately contributing to Web three and learning about Web three and building community of people that they care about. This started because these couple guys said, we're going to give away tokens to thousands of people. That was, and and maybe they funded it a little bit. I'm not even sure if they funded the treasury. They just, again, maybe a small amount, but they just said, we're going to airdrop, right? What we call it in crypto. 35,000 tokens each to these like I don't know 200 or 2,000 people. That was like pretty much the one thing that they did. And then maybe just continue to talk about the DAO because they don't they don't control the DAO. They have some of the tokens. They just gave away what is kind of like shares but these are governance tokens to thousands of people. And that was like the genesis of this amazing project and community that's contributing to the world. Now that is not something that I think anyone has ever done before crypto. Right. I mean, I'm sure there's like examples of like kind of similar things that were done in like cooperatives and stuff like that, but there's never been a global group of hundreds or thousands of people that were like airdropped equity for free in something mm-hmm. that didn't even exist yet. And then somehow they all came together and built something amazing. Like that's just not how the world has worked before. And it's made possible by tokens and DAOs, right? Like and, and smart contracts in general that you can actually do that. And I, I think that's amazing. And it's it's not easy. It does. It usually fails when people launch new tokens, right? I, I mean, it, it, it's hard um but but it's a new model that never existed before it's a model for value creation it's a model for for community creation for alignment of incentives Mm -hmm. and it's just amazing that that's a new model that people can use and come the next bull market right because right now everything is depressed right it's hard to start a startup it's hard to start a DAO. it's hard to buy a car it's hard to buy a house it's hard to do everything in the economy and so DAOs are no exception and token launches are no exception but when the economy turns around again and suddenly all these things are very feasible there's going to be so many interesting things that people do by airdropping tokens to large communities of people and then seeing what happens. And maybe there's a little more planning that will go into it than just see what happens, but it's going to be amazing. There's going to be so many banklesses, but with different missions and different communities and different groups all over the world doing all kinds of cool stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of this is made made possible through crypto. And um, it's also made possible through the through the will of the people, right? Um, if you take a look at a traditional, a traditional public corporation right now, they almost do the opposite of an airdrop. They do this, this buyback, right? The share buyback. And Hmm. so you might get some dividends out of that. You might get some, some cash profit out of that, but you get, less equity in the company and the company gets more equity in themselves. I suppose, uh, depending on how well you want to look at it, the shareholders will be getting more equity because the, the people who are selling back their tokens are or their shares have less equity. Um, but it doesn't necessarily give you more governance rights. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, of airdrops, if anybody out there listening is planning on doing an airdrop, I would suggest uh, strongly that you find a tokenomics engineer or a tokenomics team and spend a lot of time with them. Um, if you have a budget, spend as much of it as possible on mm-hmm. a tokenomics team. And I've I've uh, I was recently in Ibiza at one of their conferences down there called Ibiza Next that was the second year running that I went after the first year I was in talks with their team they wanted to set up this economy with their token uh, and call it Ibiza Pay and they wanted to incentivize people to make purchases with a Ibiza token on the island and offer them discounts right so you go and you use a Ibiza t- Ibiza Pay terminals you can pay with a QR code or with a with a contactless card um, And if you made that payment with Ibiza tokens, you get 10% off or something like that. Um, The first step we needed to do was look at the tokenomics model. How do we create an economy for Ibiza? And no matter how hard you think it's going to be, it's 10 times harder. (laughs) Um, We spoke with a few teams, including uh, the tokenomics experts at Bankless Consulting, and um, the overall consensus from all of them was: a, it was going to be expensive. Um, I think the the lowest quote we got was uh, just over seventy thousand dollars for a you know a very basic tokenomics model. But on average, it was around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for for building out that economic model. Um, the the Overall idea was that people were just the the merchants were just going to receive the token and sell them back to fiat the next day. Right, because they can't take those tokens and put them in the bank, so you have to learn how to incentivize not just the people who are receiving the tokens, but you also have to incentivize the merchants, you have to incentivize the whole economy to hold those tokens the fiat model exists already. It was built on the gold standard and everybody was incentivized to hold gold because gold was worth something and it was worth something to everyone. At one point in time, the gold standard in Europe was nearly devalued because when Spain went to South America and and plummeted all the gold that they could over there, uh, plundered all the gold, sorry, they plundered all, that, all those riches brought back tons and tons and tons of gold and all of a sudden you had you no longer had scarcity there was so much gold that they had to the king of uh, Spain had to actually hide it so nobody knew how much was actually in circulation right so the merchants would have had less incentive to um to value the gold as high because they knew it was worth less um so that's something that you really need to, to take into account when you're doing an airdrop. Yes, there's the power to bring your community on board, incentivize your community, give them equity, give them a part of the structure. But at the same time, do your research on every single portion of that economy. You're, by creating a token, you're essentially creating an economy and you have to figure out what it is that that economy is going to go out and do. You have to run models. Um, there are some AI tools out there that can run those models for you. Um, and I'm in touch with a number of different tokenomics specialists. So if anybody listening wants a connect, feel free to reach out to me and I'll point you in the right direction.
0: That sounds like a really valuable resource. Um, thank you for offering that. And you know, there's a, a recent story, I've experienced something like this. So a, a good, really good old friend of mine, Harvard grad, HBS grad, built this really successful exchange called Clipper Exchange. This Clipper.exchange, the DEX for small transactions. Um, it's an awesome project, awesome team. And they launched a token recently. And uh, on day one, the token value fell 95%. And I don't think it's recovered yet. Now, full disclosure, I bought some since then because I think there's like, to me, it's like, the project is amazing. The team is amazing. There may eventually be fees for the tokens like eventually this token will be great, but there, I don't think there was any attention paid towards like tokenomics or marketing, especially cause they were like, we don't want to market this thing. Just we want people to want it on their own, mm-hmm. um, which may be good for like regulatory concern reasons. Uh, but I think the lack of like tokenomics may have played a role in why it at least hasn't been successful so far. It's called the sale token, by the way, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, but, uh, is there, Chris, aside from reaching out to you for an introduction, is there like a resource or like, a, a way people can learn about tokenomics, like just like an online class or something that you'd recommend, or really, as far as you know, just something they need to reach out to the experts about right now?
1: Um there's one place that I do um I do go. Uh I listen to their podcast every now and then and I read their Substack. It's called Jarvis Labs. Um I will have to double check. Oh, it's called um Espresso. Yeah, so Espresso is part of Jarvis Labs. Go to jarvislabs.substack.com. Those guys really dive into the the economics. Um, the There's this whole relationship between fiat and crypto that a lot of crypto people don't really take into account when they're looking at their trading, et cetera. Um, and they also kind of base their assumptions on uh, traditional financial models as well. So yeah, check out Jarvis Labs. Um, cool. I mentioned Bankless Consulting as well. They don't have anything currently uh, on the go, I don't think. But if you look up Bankless Consulting Tokenomics uh, and also check out Bankless Dow newsletter, uh, the Bankless DAO newsletter is yeah. a wealth yeah. of knowledge. Um, just so people know the difference between Bankless and Bankless DAO, Bankless HQ is David and Ryan. They created the DAO and now the DAO is its own entity. It's like its own organism uh, within the DAO. We started with 13 guilds. Some of those guilds have been dissolved. Some have turned into departments, which are more like helping with the running of the DAO, uh, ops department, marketing department. Um, <clears throat> and one of the guilds, original guilds is called Writer's Guild. They have a very powerful publishing arm called Bankless Publishing. And any of their stuff is fantastic. So read up on there. Big shout out to Hiro Canelli, Jake and Stake, mm-hmm. True Cat, um, Siddhartha, you know all the all the Bankless writers out there. There's there's so many more that I can't even name half of them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, check them it,
0: out. I, bankless and Bankless DAO are absolutely essential sources for knowledge. If you're a be- you know, it's interesting. I, I, occasionally, real beginners ask me like, where do you recommend I go? And I do have to warn them now that if you listen to the Bankless podcast. It, it it does get pretty advanced a lot of the time, mm-hmm. so I, I sometimes I say go back two or three years and listen to those also. But it's it's still good for beginners. It's just there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. And the Bankless DAO, I mean, not only Bankless DAO produces a number of podcasts. Um, I don't know if you want to mention maybe if you have a couple favorites, uh, but also the newsletter is is awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, making bank is is a popular one, uh, but that's mostly dealing with the internal projects and team members within Bankless DAO. We've got Crypto sapiens. Uh, we have a new one uh, from A to Z, and that's put out by Zombie Shepherd and um, and 5 uh, um, So no, not Zombie Shepherd. Sorry, not Zombie Shepherd. Uh, Zim Timo. Sorry about that. Yeah, Zim. Cool. Um, yeah. So check them out.
0: Cool. All right. Well, so we're getting close to the end of our time. So I want to give you the chance just to give advice. Right. And and this advice can take a number of forms. And if you want to, I don't know if you have to run in, in seven minutes, we could go a little bit over if you want, but.
1: No, I've got time.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, so here are the things I usually ask and we could go through them one at a time or just whatever your favorites are. So one is favorite tools. Let's just start with let's start with tools then. Tools that you think people should check out for running DAOs or for you know helping Uh, a DAO operate? Any favorite tools or tools that you're excited about?
1: Well, you know, Discord is the obvious one because it's easy for people to get in there. Like if if you're not in DAOs currently, you're probably going to have to get a Discord account. Um, And if you're a gamer, you probably already do have a Discord account. So it's an easy way to chat. Uh, In terms of of getting stuff done, um, I love Notion. I was first introduced to Notion by getting involved with Bankless DAO. Uh, you can create a free Notion account and publish pages. Essentially, it's like it's like creating free web pages. <clears throat> uh, you can also invite people to edit those pages with you. Um, then you've got you know the typical Google Suites are quite helpful as well. Um, in terms of of like on chain tools, um, we mentioned safe we talked about that so you know if you're dealing with a collective of people set up a multi-sig where you can store funds and require three four or five signatures to access those funds um there's a tool that we use called parcel uh let's see if i can find um on here it's gonna be um parcel dot money I think that is the one, and you can go on there, and it actually connects to your existing safe. Um, so you just log in with your MetaMask wallet, and they actually sponsor gas fees. So if you're transacting on Ethereum, they will uh, they'll pay your gas fees for you. You do have to get in touch with them and request it, um, and you know tell them I sent you. Um, I'm not an affiliate with them. I don't get anything for that, but uh, they they have really supported us over at Bankless Dow by, you know, they've saved us thousands and thousands in gas fees over the past few years. So check out parcel.money. Um, there are so many other tools that I get that I get early access to. I run uh, demos in Bankless Dow. It's they've been on hiatus for a couple of months now, but we do these demos through Fight Club uh, and relationships and we've seen tools for running, um, <clears throat> venture syndicates, uh, tools for creating on-chain stores. Uh, we saw, a, an amazing, uh, an amazing, uh, on-chain gaming platform where people can tokenize their games. And when you sell the game, you actually buy an NFT and you can sell that on. Um, so. In terms of tooling, I mean, DYOR. <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to do. If After you're your own research, if, yep. yeah. If you want to trade tokens, um, there's hundreds of different trading platforms out there. Vortex is one of them. Um, if you want to, um, you know, if you if you just want a simple swap tokens, then you can hop onto. Um, one inch, you can hop on Uniswap. Everybody knows those. <clears throat> okay, I've got two that I can throw out. Uh, one is called <laughs> that's, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> one is called Gas Hawk. Um, and Gas Hawk is what it does is it preloads your transaction and runs it through their RPC. Okay, so you approve, you approve the spend. <clears throat> and It basically holds it in their transaction queue. And when gas is low, it sends your transaction through. So it optimizes for gas. And you can set your own parameters. You can, if you have an urgent transaction, you can set it for one minute. If you have something that isn't urgent, like you've got an NFT that's minting for the next five days, you can set your your time limit to 24 hours. And what it will do is it will way, it will sort of judge and it will use um, predictive modeling to figure out when's the best time to send that transaction. And I've saved like 60 plus percent on gas fees Mm -hmm. by doing that. Uh, There's another one called Caddy Finance. Caddy Finance is like, it's kind of like um, a transaction aggregator. And so the way they work is they um, go out and find you the best prices on tokens. Similar to what One Inch Fusion does, um, but they also use centralized exchanges as well. So they allow you to um, connect your centralized exchange. So if you had various centralized exchanges, it would use those plus One Inch plus Uniswap plus all the other pools to figure out what the best uh, transaction is going to be. So check out Caddy Finance as well.
0: Cool. Wow. That's an awesome list. You're giving people plenty of homework, which, which I love, by the way, do you, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but do you want to show your marketing related projects at all? Or yeah, absolutely. Save that for, okay. Yeah. Go for it, please.
1: I'll just, I'll just blast through a couple of the projects that I'm, that I'm active in. I mentioned bankless card and you, and you said to check them out. Uh, bankless card has actually signed an agreement recently in the United States. So we're going to be <laughs> launching our first cards, Hopefully within the next six weeks. If it's not within the next six weeks, it will have to be after the Christmas cycle, because they tend to shut down over the Christmas period. Um, So we're on the precipice of launching Bankless Card. What that will be is an easy means for people to earn DAO tokens. So instead of earning cash back or instead of earning airline miles, you're going to earn DAO tokens. And when we get to the point of actually generating revenue, because early doors, we're gonna have to build up our um, our user base before we actually get to revenue. Once we get to that point, we'll be paying money back into Dow treasuries as well. So we'll be funding DAOs by through their users' normal spending habits. The beauty of Bankless Card is that the DAOs, the, the Dow members are the owners of the project. So we have an LLC, which has a fiduciary requirement to a foundation and that foundation's sole beneficiary is the DAO. So that's the members, the token holders. And so again, that's that bottom up control structure. Um, Beyond Bankless Card, um, within the Bankless DAO ecosystem, I'm involved in Fight Club, which is uh, teaching people how to invest like a venture capitalist. um, And also involved in Global events, so we go to different events. Like I saw you at a permissionless in Austin, and we get some media coverage. So we uh, we try to be media partners with those events uh, and push all that info to the Bankless DAO channels. Um, And then I also host AMAs. Um, So that's within the Bankless DAO ecosystem. Now a few of us have gathered together and decided that we were going to put our powers to good use for not just. The Bankless Dial Collective, but for the rest of the ecosystem as well. Um, and we're setting up this marketing agency. Um, it's called Decentra, D3 Centra. Um, and the idea is that we're going to help Web2 companies with Web3 marketing strategies and help Web3 companies spread their word as well. Um, so the reason why uh, I was introduced to you was actually because we need to set up an entity somewhere. Uh, and, and I'm friends with Jana Standish, who's who's been working with you. And she was like, hey, come talk to us and we want to help you. Um, and so you guys have very graciously offered to help us out. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to get that entity set up soon. So um, yeah, in terms of the marketing side of things, what we're really aiming to do is stick to our morals and our values. Um, That's very important to us. We, the reason why we wanted to sort of break out from Bankless DAO is because we're limited to the amount of customers we can take in because you can only push so much stuff through the Bankless DAO marketing channels without it feeling like it's becoming a shill for everything. Mm. So we can still use, (coughs) excuse me, we can still use the Bankless DAO marketing channels um, by sort of, paying to have, by hooking up the customer through a service provider to Bankless DAO and providing a customer to them. But we will also be able to provide customers to multiple other outlets as well. Um, So yeah, really excited to be starting out there um, and seeing where it leads us.
0: Yeah. And a vote of confidence. We're planning on using their marketing service as well, because it it does seem Uh, really compelling, not related to Chris being on the show. Um, So definitely check that out. Um, Okay, one more piece of advice that you have for people starting DAOs before we get to our socials and, and concluding, if someone came to you and said, hey, Chris, like I'm literally starting a DAO tomorrow, what's your number one piece of advice for me? What would that be?
1: My number one piece of advice would be don't offer any services until you have some form of entity. <laughs> Cover your ass, really, basically is what I'm trying to say. Number number and this isn't a plug for myDAO either, you know, but I know you guys offer that as a service. There are a bunch of other services out there that people can use. MyDAO might not be the best fit for them, but I highly recommend you check out MyDAO's site and see what it is you can do. Because if you have, a, as as we covered at the beginning of this, right, um, talking about tornado cash, if you are a group of people and you have a collective mission, you may be liable for any damage that you do while trying to trying to achieve that mission. So even if you don't think you're going to be doing anything wrong, you're not going to be offering DeFi services. You're not going to be offering advice. You start every space by saying, "This is not legal and financial advice." (laughs) You could, you could still be sued. Okay, so definitely check out uh, a legal entity. Check out MyDAO. Check out any of the other ones that exist out there. I'll refrain from from naming the other services, Um, but there are a number of them out there. You can, you know just figure out how you can cover yourselves as individuals um and then from that point go on chain because that's what a dao is you can't just be a group of people and say we're a dao figure yeah. out how you're going to go on chain so check out aragon check out dao house check out any of the other dao creation tools the beauty of a dao is that it's all public so it's all forkable so you can look at the governance models of of DAOs that you idolize or that you want to be like, and you can just fork their governance. And next thing you know, you've got your Mm. own model right there. So it's not like a traditional organization where you have to kind of, Mm. uh, you know, pick it apart and try and reverse engineer it. It's all there open Mm. for the taking.
0: Good point. And a lot of DAOs are building platforms that make it easy to launch a DAO that works just like theirs. So like Dao House, Mm Aragon. Nouns. If you're building more of a community, yeah, nouns. style. Um, yep. Awesome, Chris. This has been fantastic. So much fun and so many good things. If if someone asked me, like, okay, where do I start? You could listen to this episode and you have like 50 things to Google and and spend a few minutes, you know, researching. So really awesome. Um, where can people find you and your projects on the web and on social?
1: Okay, uh, well, certainly check out banklesscard.xyz. Um, Me personally, you can find me at the NF Thinker on Twitter. I go by NF Thinker, which is not NFT Thinker. People think I'm an NFT maxi or something, which I'm not. <laughs> I just uh, am, am thinking about protecting my non fungible thoughts. So I have Neuralink to thank for that inspiration. <laughs> um, and yeah, so you can find me, my photography work uh, at chrisbeal.com. I'm also on Instagram as Chris Beal. Um, you know, if you're interested in checking out some of my work, you'll find that there. Uh, if you're in the UK or anywhere in Europe and you want to hire me as a photographer, I still hire myself out. I'm a, I'm a trigger for hire. So, um, yeah, if you like any of that stuff, by all means, check it out. I haven't sold any NFT. I haven't minted any NFTs yet. People think I'm crazy, but I I want to save that for a special occasion, maybe find... Uh, a series of photographs that I want to mint as, as NFTs and and do that then, but I'm not in any rush.
0: Love it. Thank you. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller or on Farcaster at TheThriller. Uh, MyDAO is at myDAO DS for directory services on Twitter or myDAO.org and myDAO on Farcaster. Um, just again, a quick ad for myDAO. We do legal entities for DAOs and Web3. We have our guide to DAO incorporation. You can download from our website, which talks about legal entities all over the world and how to know if you need one and how to choose one. Um, lawyers, tax advisors, please reach out. We have a partner network where we can help get you more clients at no cost. And we can also educate you about the Marshall Islands if you're interested. Um, None of this is ever or has been legal advice or tax advice or financial advice. I'm not a lawyer. Neither of us are lawyers. Chris is a photographer. I'm just a guy. I'm I'm a tech entrepreneur. um, So not legal advice. And uh, again, Chris, thanks so much. Um, To the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it.
1: Thank you, Adam. See you next time.